Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello, everyone. This is the Traveling Image Makers Podcast with your host, Ugo Che. Uh, this time I'm alone. I just heard from uh, our uh, uh, co-host Ralph Velasco, who is in India these days, and he told me I'm in Pushkar, and he said the internet here is just doesn't work. So <laughs> you'll have to do this alone. Uh, he'll be back uh, on um, probably next week when he has a better connection. But we had scheduled this interview with a great friend of ours and we didn't want to uh, reschedule it. And this friend has been with us already on an episode. Actually, that was episode 36. So I think it was more than two years ago. Uh, he likes to define himself as a landscape and wilderness photographer. I think that uh, fits very much what he does. So let me introduce to you our friend Jay Patel. So hi Jay, how are you doing? Fine, I'm doing great. Uh, it's Thanksgiving, so we're pretty busy. Uh, it's a big shopping season, big sales season for us. Yeah, uh, I said you are a landscape and wilderness photographer, but you're also a, a businessman, an entrepreneur with a business that has a lot to do with photography because you are uh, with uh, together with Varina, your wife, you're the, the owners of uh, the, the site that is called Visual Wilderness, of which I'm uh, honored to be a contributor, right? So, And we love your articles. Yes, we are owners of Visual Wilderness. Visual Wilderness is all about travel and landscape photography. We concentrate more on travel, uh, on landscape photography. We have a couple of really good travel photographers like yourself, Ugo, who write a lot of articles for us. Uh, we also have some travel photography ebooks that we offer through the site. So if you are a travel photographer and want to know how to take better photos, there's a free blog, free newsletter. Um, just come and check it out. Yeah, that's visualwilderness.com. So we just put it out right at the start and people can go and uh, and check it. It's uh, it's a great resource for for landscape and travel photographers. Uh, absolutely, my not, not just because I'm a contributor, but I'm an avid reader of everything that that you or your contributors put <laughs> out. So, um, and yeah, we said landscape and travel, but uh, you like to travel too. I mean, it's uh, it's not just uh, you cannot find always find the best la landscapes, right? Be uh, behind the corner, right? You you do, you do some travel to to go to get the, the best uh, the best locations, the best light. Uh, I think you were just uh, recently in Moab, right? That's correct. The Moab. We were keynote speakers at a Moab conference, so uh, we were there along with a bunch of landscape photographers, and there were almost 150 students there, and we did a big conference there. And uh, then the students kind of split up, and over the next three or four days, they went around photographing different locations in Moab. Uh, from a travel photographer perspective, we actually take at least one uh, workshop, travel workshop a year. Um, this year, our travel workshop was in Peru. 
where we got to work with uh, the Giving Lands, and we had 12 students with us when we went to Peru. Yeah, Peru is uh, one of the destinations that's on my bucket list. So uh, maybe you want to tell us a little bit about Peru. What's uh, Everybody knows about Machu Picchu. I've uh, <laughs> seen photos of Machu Picchu. What else is uh, is great about Peru? What's what's so great there? Uh, Peru is is a really small country, but incredibly diverse. So you can go from coast to almost 11, 10, 15,000 feet um, in just a matter of one day. So the terrain is very diverse. The culture and the people are also very diverse. There is uh, ethnic cultures, which is uh, original culture of Peru, which is um, the Incas. And there are still people who actually speak Quechuan, which is the old Inca language. And then there is Spanish speaking speaking culture which was introduced later on when the Spaniards invaded Peru and then for several years ago I think I'm not really sure exactly when but in uh, 1900s there was a big influx of Chinese culture in Peru so then there's a big population of Chinese people there so you have this mix of culture and the culture itself is the traditions are so colorful the dresses and um, everything is incredibly colorful and there's a lot of historical monuments in the cities as well so when you go to the cities you can visit all churches and forts and these Inca ruins are scattered throughout Peru and then once you once you go on the other side of the mountains the most incredible part is you'll be in a rainforest and so you, you get this near desert terrain to really high mountainous regions to rainforest, all located in a small country of Peru. So if you haven't been there, it's, it's a travel photographer's paradise. Well, I think it's the first time that I hear you speaking in such enthusiastic terms of uh, the people, the dresses, the culture and so on. Does that mean <laughs> we will start seeing some people photos from you on the website? Well, I, I do have people photos. I don't usually post them very much. Uh, it's not because I don't know how to take people photos. It's just that my passion is landscape. So I'm more interested in landscape. But we do take uh, travel and landscape photography are integrally linked. You can't really do yeah. one without the other. And we have been working with thanks uh, the, the Giving Lens organization to do a lot of travel photography. So. We've done travel photography in Peru, Nicaragua. We've done travel photography within the U.S., um, Australia. So we're not strangers to people and travel photography. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um, so you said you take uh, one big trip a year for worship and so on. So your your life is not that of a glamorous travel photographer, Instagrammer who's on the road uh, uh, the <laughs> whole time. You have a business, right? You have children, you have a family, you have a dog. <laughs> yep, the new dog. <laughs> the new dog. I saw posts by Varina on, <laughs> on Facebook and so on. So your time for travel is, is quite limited, uh, notwithstanding what some people might think. Um, how do you ensure that when your your time is limited, you make the most of that time? 
Yeah, so this is a this is a what travel photography is all about. So let me give you some sort of background about travel photography. Um, the biggest challenge that um, regular photographers face, which is not somebody who's doing travel for a living, is when you visit a location, you have a given itinerary, and then you have a given amount of time, and things have to uh, line up just right to get absolutely fantastic photos, right? So if you go on a location, you face a number of different challenges in limited amount of time. So your weather can be bad, your accessibility can be bad, uh, people can be disruptive when you're trying to take photos, uh, roads may be closed, there could be natural disasters, um, you may get sick. So the question then, the challenge in travel photography is, how do you come away with the best possible photos in limited number of time and taking a chance that things will go wrong, which almost always happens when you're out traveling. Mm -hmm. All right, so that is the biggest difference between travel photography, landscape photography, and other genres of photography where, say for example, a studio shot, shoot or a wedding shoot. In wedding shoot, sure, you can mess up, but you can always recreate the scene. Um, so you have some control over lighting, you have control over locations, timing, things like that. In, in travel and landscape photography, you have very little control. So your mindset for those who are doing travel photography has to change. And that change requires you to say that, okay, here are the things that are not in my control, what are the things that are in my control and how can I make the most of those? Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but the latest article that I published <laughs> on Visual Wilderness was about what to do when the weather sucks. Correct. That, <laughs> so that is can, typical of travel photography. We, we can take that as a, as a, a hint, maybe. We can talk about, about the weather. How do you uh, get a get the best even when the weather is, is not great? What's, what tips, what suggestions can you give to people? So I think let's, let's talk about what is not in your control. So all the, the, the geopolitical um, events that are going on, the weather, the light, um, the long-term natural disaster, none of that is in, under your control, right? But what is under your control is your equipment. And what is under your control is the research and the amount of stuff you know about a location. And the other thing that is under your control is your creativity. So those are the three things that you need to use to be able to overcome things that are not in your control. And so let's talk about doing research first. Mm -hmm and how does that play into travel photography? So I'll give you a concrete examples. So you were telling me, oh, uh, you just heard me talk a lot about Peru, right? So why do I know so much about Peru? I've only been there once. Before we went to Peru, I went and did research about what the location is like, right? So we were going to go and fly into Cusco. 
So we did research about Cusco. What is located in Cusco? What is the terrain around Cusco is like? What are, are some of the things you can photograph around Cusco? What Inca ruins are located within a couple of miles or a couple of hours of driving distance around Cusco, right? So we know all of these things. So that is the kind of research that will help us determine what is the best possible thing to shoot when, say, for example, weather doesn't cooperate, mm -hmm. all right? So if you're in an overcast condition, in say you go to Peru and you face overcast conditions, what are you gonna shoot? Well, you can go and find a location which has interesting Inca ruins that can be photographed in overcast conditions. If there's a fog out there, and if you have ruins like Machu Picchu, which is located in such a high altitude, and the fog is going in and out of these ruins, that can make for a breathtaking photo. So you need to be able to know what diverse geology and locations to photograph are available to overcome the unpredictable factors of the weather. And you can only do that by knowing all the things, or at least a lot of things that are there to shoot when you get there, before you get there. Uh, let me ask you a bit of a loaded question, if you want. <laughs> uh, you do a lot of research, as you said, and it's important to do research before going on a location. But doesn't that run the risk that by doing the research and looking at the photos that other people have taken, because you, that, that's sometimes what you end up doing, um, you go there and you recreate the photos that other people have already taken because you've researched so much that you've just got those photos in mind and you, you got, well, how do you fight that tendency, if there is a tendency in that sense? So I think there are two kinds of research that we do. We do a long-term research. And when you do long-term research, and you look at the photos that other people have taken. You do have a tendency to go and recreate uh, photos that others have taken. But more importantly, you need to think about long-term research as um, a goal um, rather than trying to photograph it. That means that you need to know some of the predictable factors that are there for long-term research. All right. Now, there is a second kind of research that we do, which is called short-term research. And short-term research is we will go on a location and we will talk to the locals saying, hey, what are the interesting things to talk about over here? What are the interesting things to photograph? So I may just, uh, if I'm going in the U.S., I will go and stop by at a ranger station or National Park Service office and say, hey, guys, what are the interesting things um, to shoot around here or to go see. And those are the kind of things that you don't know about, right? So you mm -hmm. don't know what to expect. And when um, we find those out, we almost almost certain to visit that. So short-term research, when you try to go and do that, you expectedly, you find that you, you will find locations that are not always on the internet, right? And in that case, you're free to explore your creativity. So yeah, you have to be careful about just falling into a trap of cliche. But on the other hand, you also have to know that those locations and that research is important to select the location based on the weather 
or the events or any unpredictable factors that are going through and then supplement it with a short-term research that will allow you to visit locations that are not so very well known. Yeah, very good, very good answer. Um, do you have any specific examples? I mean, some stories that you can tell from where yeah, you're either so, in Peru or Moab of things that happened <laughs> that didn't go the right way and what, uh, how did you overcome those challenges? All right, so I'll, I'll tell you a story about um, we were visiting New Zealand while first trip and the only trip I've been there. And we were in a camper van and we were going to photograph this famous location uh, called Moraiki boulders, right? So we're driving all the way down on the South Island trying to visit this remote location. And we stopped by at a campsite. And there were, we were sitting at campsite office because it was really cold. And we noticed some photos hanging on the wall and we said, Oh, that's a really great shot. Well, who took that photo? And the girl who worked in the kitchen was an amateur photographer, and she took that photo. And she says, well, this is this is okay, but you really want to go and visit this place called Cathedral Caves. And I said, Cathedral Caves? I've never heard of it. She says, no, because it's not very well known. They're only open during low tides, and you can only visit them during low tides. And we ended up going and visiting them next day. And the place is phenomenal. There is this huge cave that has been carved out by ocean. And it's only accessible at low tide. So, But when you go in the low tide, the water recedes so much that the cave is just like blue-green with yellow rocks all over the place. And, and there is this almost like turquoise water pooling up in the middle of the entrance of the cave and the whole scene is just gorgeously breathtaking and that is the kind of stuff that we feel i've never known i haven't even seen any of the good photos of the cathedral cave at this point in time and so we were one of the first ones to to get there and photograph it um, i'll give you another example uh, we were in iceland uh, 2011, and people were like, Iceland, everything has been photographed in Iceland. Well, now it has. But at the time, there's still remote, rugged areas in Iceland that nobody really knows about. And we befriended one of the local um, owners of the rest, uh, the hotel owners that we used to stay there. So we were sitting around, and he says, you know, there's this gorgeous waterfall, a series of waterfalls located um, just like half an hour's drive or less from the hotel we were staying in. And I said, really? He said, no. He said, no, no, it's, it's a man-made waterfall. So we go there and we were stunned. There is this blue-green river flowing through this valley. And you have to imagine that the entire side of the mountain is just has water just flowing over it. In, in streams. So there's like streams all over the place that are just pouring into the Blue Creek River. And the reason this is a man-made waterfall is because this was a spillway for a dam that they were building. And then when they blasted the spillway, these waterfalls started to flow. But the whole scene is absolutely breathtaking. And the reason nobody knew about it was 
he was not located on these roads, and nobody had photographed it before at that point in time. So we were one of the first ones to go in and photograph, and I named it Valley of Tears. And that photo is, is actually fairly popular and fairly famous, and now I get these emails saying, where's the Valley of Tears located? Because people will try to Google Valley of Tears and they can't, can't find anything. So we named it Valley of Tears because this was this was a natural habitat that was disturbed by man. So it is just phenomenally gorgeous. So those kinds of locations that you end up getting are fairly unique and 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 really hard to. And the way you can pretty much get to them is if you actually know people who have lived for a long time. Mm-hmm. You talked about creativity. Um, I would like to ask you, how do you employ creativity to get something, to create something new, even in, in locations that have been seen and photographed a number of times? So now we're talking not, not about new locations that you discover, but uh, locations that are already quite popular. And I know it's it's easy to say, ah, oh, you should be creative. But for me personally, <laughs> it's it's really hard to put that in practice. Uh, do you have any practices? Do you have any techniques and, and tools to mental things to, to help you stimulate your creativity when you're on location and try to come up with something novel? Yeah, so, um, so let's define creativity, right? Um, it's a it's a vast topic, and people can define it any which way you you want. But the way I want to define creativity for the purposes of this podcast is creativity is a photo that you take with an intent, a specific intent. And the second aspect of creativity is you do something that is not a normal. Um, it's, it doesn't involve your normal workflow. So let me give you an example. So let's take a look at this gorgeous photo, and I'm going to give Ugo to put this photo in. Uh, it was taken in Fiji, and you see this blazing sunset with this beautiful log that had washed over on the shore, and the sun is just coming through the log, and everything is perfect. That is not a creative photo. That's a photo that every photographer, a travel photographer or a landscape photographer will take because it's it's great light. You're just there. All you have to do is just point your camera and take a photo, and all you need is skills. All right. Now, take a look at this other photo of, of a shell on the beach. And that shell on the beach has a wave crashing on it. It's, it's beautifully white, and everything is, is totally blurred out in the background. And it's just like a dreamy photo, really dreamy photo of, of what, um, what a beach should look like. Now, my intent over there was to actually use a shallow depth of field. And to get as close to the shell as possible. So the shell is sharp in focus, everything else is is totally blurred out. And I took this photo in the middle of the day, which is usually not when you take good travel photos or good landscape photos. Um, although we would disagree with that but, uh, statement. But anyway, that is 
what creativity is. It's an intent that you follow and something specific you did, in this case using shallow depth of field. So creativity is intent and a specific thing that is not a normal part of your workflow. Okay, mm -hmm. so that is how we define creativity. So the question now is, is how do you develop creativity? Well, there are a number of ways you can do it. And I'm just going to give you two or three really easy examples. So one of the examples I gave you guys was, hey, use a shallow depth of field, right? In travel photography, a lot of people will end up using a wide depth of field because you want to capture everything. Uh, you want to capture the flowers and the cathedral and all kinds of stuff. But, but create, just try this. Next time you go in a cathedral or to take photos of people, try using a shallow depth of field and see what you get. Right? So that is an intent of creativity. The other way you can do is play with your camera settings to be creative. Uh, why do you have to freeze all your subjects? Why not let your subjects blur out? And I can give you examples of when we do that. We let our subjects blur out by using a soft shutter speed. And what it does is it actually paints, um, for landscape photography, it actually paints. The wind is used to paint colors in your photos, right? The other other thing about creativity is you, you don't have to, when you're trying to take a photo and you're putting your subject, you, you always pay so much attention to your subject that you, you place your subject in, in a specific position. Well, well, try not to do that. What if you were to shoot through things? So shoot through flowers, shoot through stained glass windows, shoot through doorways, shoot through other people to find a subject that will be what will come away with the intent is to come away with a photo which is different um, one more example is is change your perspective we always point your camera we stand up point our camera straight to take a photo what if your perspective was to lie down on the ground and take a photo or uh, rent a helicopter and try to take a photo of the same place uh, from up in the air. When we went to Machu Picchu, we couldn't rent a helicopter because the, the altitude was too high. So instead what we did was we actually took a trail, climbed 3,000 feet above Machu Picchu and tried to photograph the ruins creatively from that location. All right, so there are a number of different ways you can do creativity, but you have to pick an intent which is not normally part of your workflow to be able to do that. Okay, you gave us uh, some great examples of creativity in the field. I'd like to ask uh, how much of that creativity extends to the, the darkroom or the computer? Yeah, it's uh, that's a wide open topic. Um, you can do a lot of that in computer, but Remember, travel photography is, is stuck in the field, right? I can give you an example of creativity by putting extra color in. I can give you an example of creativity by putting uh, 
more contrast in the photo or turning it into black and white. But that is all after the fact. What to take great photographs, especially to take great photographs, specifically travel photographs, you want to be creative in the field. Because let's face it, that shallow depth of field effect may be implemented using post-processing, but that slow shutter speed effect of people moving in the street will be incredibly difficult to implement it in post-processing. Or the change of perspective where you're trying to photograph everything by looking straight up may be almost impossible to pull off in post-processing. So yeah, post-processing creativity can be done, but creativity that you miss out in the field cannot always be reproduced. Yeah, unless you want to really create something new. Yeah, I mean, unless you're talking about digital art, yeah, which yeah. is... Well, this is not our, is, I mean, yeah. Right, I mean, it's not about a problem. It's, uh, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that, at least I think, but it's not no, our personal no. field of, uh, of expression. Right. right. Um, so what's uh, what's next for you? Do you have any uh, trips planned? I heard you might be coming to Italy in the future <laughs> or any, any other trips planned, workshops? We have a long overdue trip to Italy that we need to take sooner than later. So we'll see what we can do. Uh, for 2019, we don't have any trips planned. We just got back. We were in Hawaii in the summer, in Peru, earlier than that. Then uh, we were also in Hawaii in the winter season. So there were three or four trips we usually do a year. So in 2019, we don't really know where we're going to go yet. Um, we are, Rena and I have to sit down and figure out what um, our next trip is. But uh, we want to visit locations that we haven't visited. So maybe South America, uh, Caribbean islands, uh, Dolomites, which we haven't visited. So all of those are possibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, one last question for you that sometimes I ask uh, my guests and uh, I haven't been done this, doing this for, for quite some time. So it just occurred to me that you might be the, the right person to, to ask this question too. And the question is, what drives you crazy? <laughs> um, I guess uh, not a whole lot. Um, I think as you get older, you... Uh, you just tend to ignore things. But um, wedding photography drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Why? I mean, you, you're not doing wedding photography, right? No, no. I mean, I, I had assisted a long time ago, and the last wedding photography we did was, um, was an obligation that we did for my brother-in-law. But we don't do wedding photography. But when I did assist in writing photography a long time ago, almost like 12 years ago, that was just something I told myself, I am never, ever, ever going to do it. Why is it easier to deal with the inconsistency of weather out in Machu Picchu than to deal with the brides and grooms? <laughs> Completely, 100% agree with that statement. I'd rather be cold, hot, and not have to deal with people 
then uh, have to deal with all the people and all the things that go on in wedding photography. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, okay, anything else you would like to to say to our audience? Well, we have a great resource on visual wilderness. Um, we have a subscription plan. Um, if you are going to be able to get to it next few days, within next week or so, um, you can join Visual Wilderness for $9.95 a month. Uh, if you want to sign up to our newsletter, it's completely free, no obligations to purchase. We send out two or three, uh, two to four newsletters a month, and you will get articles from Google and other photographers from all over the world, uh, landscape photography articles, travel photography articles, so um, anything that has to do with outdoor photography. So we also have a blog post that goes out once every other day, at least two or three times a week. So we have a really active site. If you don't have not visited us, uh, come and check us out, and uh, I hope you find something you like. Um, maybe I have one more question since you mentioned the site. And how much of your time is taken by managing the site? And how <laughs> much is taken by photography? So we... Um, photography, as in, we, photography as in taking pictures. <laughs> yeah. So we tend to travel no more than maybe 30 to 40 days a year. All right, so maybe a month, month and a half. So maybe four weeks to six weeks uh, is all we travel in a given year. We won't go out any more than that. However, the number of photos that we come away with during that time is, is pretty big. And the reason is our mindset is very different from other photographers. When we travel, we are there to, to be able to use our camera skills, to use our creativity, to use our research to get the best possible location. So by doing what we just talked about during the podcast, uh, we're able to come away with a portfolio which looks much larger than uh, three or four trips, one week to 10 days long in a given year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that's uh, that's really all for uh, for now. I'd like to to thank you for uh, for your time. I know you're busy managing that side. Uh, just tell Varina that we want to have her on the show as well. Maybe if she's uh, available one of those days, we should interview her as well. And um, yes, that's uh, thanks again. Uh, it was great talking to you. Lots of uh, great tips about stimulating your creativity and thinking of different ways that one can take pictures and not just stick to to what we we always do just get out a bit of the the comfort zone and do something different i think that's the the main message there so thank you very much for that uh, thank you for having me hugo it was always a pleasure talking to your podcast Great. So before I uh, close this uh, this episode, I would just like to remind everyone that you can find this episode and all the other ones at our website at ttim.photo and also on Apple Podcast, uh, Stitcher, Google Play and all those other platforms. Uh, never mind which one you want to use, you will be able to find us there, including Spotify. Just search for the Traveling Image Makers. 
And as for me, you can find everything about me uh, at my website, ucphoto.me, and for my upcoming tours and workshops at tours.ucphoto.me. Finally, uh, my co-host, uh, which uh, who, as I said, could not be with us today uh, because he's uh, traveling in uh, remote locations with not a lot of uh, bandwidth available, uh, Ralph Velasco. You can find him at his uh, website, photoenrichment.com or on social media as uh, at Ralph Velasco or at Photo Enrichment. And now that's really all for today. Let's get out and shoot.